There are few things in life when you are a child that are more frustrating than when a grown-up, it could be a parent, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, maybe a preacher. <laughs> few things in life when you are a kid, when you're a child, few things more frustrating than when a grown-up confuses your lack of education with a lack of motivation. They confuse your lack of education with a lack of motivation. In other words, they're getting on to you because they think you're not trying. They think you don't have the want to. When in fact, you've got the want to. You don't have the how to. See, they've confused your lack of education with a lack of motivation. And that is very frustrating. They think you're not trying when in fact you're trying. You just don't know what. You don't know, what, you don't know how. I was in the third grade, and I was on the Little Lakers basketball team. That's what we called our little, little dribblers. Third grade, y'all. Listen, I, I don't even know which, I'm out there playing. I don't even know which goal we're supposed to be shooting in. So I'm doing my thing, and I hear from the bench, the coach yells, Richter, flare cut. Flare cut. <laughs> You're not even trying. Flare cut. Get him out of there. I come over. I sit on the bench. And I think, I believe my coach has mistaked my lack of education <laughs> for a lack of motivation. You're not even trying. Coach, I'm trying as hard as I can. But I'll be honest. You could give me a hundred guesses, and within a hundred guesses, I would not be able to accurately tell you what on earth a flare cut is. Best guess, it's a style of tuxedo dinner jacket. Give me the one with the flare cut. <laughs> but I assure you, so you can keep getting red in the face and you can keep yelling. I know it applies to me. I knew the, I had the application when you said, Richter, I knew this was something you wanted me to do. I got no problem with the application. And I got no problem with the motivation. Coach, you can keep yelling at me, but man, it's not the motivation. Coach, if I knew what to do, I would, I would flare cut all over this gym. I'd burn this place down. I'd have so many road flares going on. But you got to tell me what on earth. So instead of just screaming at me, why not take 10 minutes and explain to me how? I'm supposed to do this. Now, how many Christians have sat through sermons where the preacher is getting red in the face and he's talking about a lack of commitment and there's no motivation and people aren't as fired up as they need to be and you're not taking seriously your sanctification and you're not engaged in the spiritual disciplines, blah, 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 flare cut, right? And the people are left saying, not you, some people. <laughs> this is getting too real. Are left saying, preacher, I think you've mistaken my lack of education with a lack of motivation. I need the information. I know it applies to me. I've got the application. But instead of just going from application straight into motivation, and why aren't you doing it? Well, I need a little help. I need a little how-to. That's what would bless my life. Hey, it, isn't Jesus the best? 
Isn't Jesus great? Of course he is the master teacher. Because when he gives his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he turns his attention to some practical spiritual disciplines. If you'll go to Matthew 6, 1, watch this. This, 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 is, this is great. In Matthew 6, which is where we pick up, we've been in a series in Matthew, and it's turning into a little mini-series on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm, I'm trying. Uh, when he gets to his teaching in Matthew 6, here's what's great. He gives the application, but he doesn't just go straight into motivation. He spent some time teaching his disciples, and this is going to bless you. He's got his disciples. He's told them the marks of grace in their life. The Beatitudes are evidence of who they are in Christ. He's talked to them about how their righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And instead of just screaming at them and, and, and why, why, you know, get out there and do it, no, no, no. He teaches, and this is going to bless us. Because we are his disciples. So every, every follower of Jesus is going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed today because you're not just going to hear, you know, why aren't you out there doing it? But to be built up in the how-to. So he gives, he gives these three illustrations. He gives the application, and then at the end he gives the motivation each time, but in the middle comes the education. So it's application, education, and motivation. And what do you know? That'd be a perfect outline for a sermon on the mount. So he, here we go. So this is our, that will be our sermon uh, notes. Uh, application, education, motivation. Jesus spends the bulk of his time not on the application or the motivation, but that section in the middle, and, and we will too. So look at Matthew 6, 1, and you'll see he starts with his thesis statement. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Okay, remember he's been talking about the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He says, you guys, you guys need a better righteousness than that. Beware of practicing your righteousness or your, you know, your rightness, your, your acts of devotion. Beware of doing that before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He said, first thing when it comes to devotions, let's have a heart check here, a motive check. In other words, and it makes total sense, right? If we perform our acts of devotion for the praise of men, we'll receive it. But the Father will not honor us with his rewards because our acts of righteousness really had nothing to do with him. So he's like, well, you've left me out of this equation, so you'll get whatever reward you get. But I'm not really, I, I'm not involved. Because you offered the good deeds really to humans and not to him. So since he was never part of the equation, he sadly has, he just lets us get what we're after, which is the praise of men. And he gives three uh, uh, examples, and they all follow this. E each of these three examples, there's, a, there's an application section, then there's an education or an information, then a, a one line of motivation at the end. So the first is the application. And uh, you'll see it here as we go through them. You'll see it. Like in verse 2, the three illustrations are give, pray, and fast. And so I just want you to see just, just how they each start. Thus, he says, when you give, and he'll talk about giving, then he'll, go, he'll move to, and when you pray, and he'll talk about prayer, and then if you skip down to verse 16, and when you fast. Everybody got it? So those are the three examples. And uh, he, the application por portion of a sermon is really, the application portion of any sermon, by the way, is simply, what does this have to do with me? That I'm going to carry what I've heard and actually go out and do it Jesus' application is really very simple. In fact, I could probably sum up Jesus' application of give, pray, fast with a three-word sermon. This would be Jesus' three-word sermon when it comes to giving, praying, and fasting. You ready? Here it is. <clears throat> this would be the application. <clears throat> when, not if. Thank you. Everybody see? Any questions? When, 
not if. He does not say if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says when. So I do not want to belabor the point, but I just want, we can't, you see how we can't really move any further. Jesus is assuming that if you are a disciple, this is naturally going to be part of your life. So he says, when you give. In other words, if someone has been blessed by the generosity of God's grace, they've been overwhelmed by God's grace, they are naturally going to be generous to others. You can't keep a Christian from giving any more than you can keep a dolphin from frolicking in the sea. It's in their nature, right? It's what they do. Christians love to give. So Jesus says, when you give. It's a mark of being saved. And when you pray. Come on, can you imagine a Christian? You can't keep a Christian from praying. You want a, you want a personal relationship with Jesus, but you never want to talk to him? You, you never want to have a relationship with God? What? No, it makes no sense. But when you pray. And when you fast. Not if, but why would you deny yourself this spiritual discipline by which you can center your focus and center your life on God. So these are, these are when, not if. Jesus assumes his followers are doing these things. Um, I will assume you are doing these things as a Christian. I don't, again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I, like, can I just ask you, point blank, are you a Christian? If you say, yeah, you follower of Jesus, right? Yeah, 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 that's what Christian means. Yeah, okay, I agree. So do you give? You're a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then do you pray? You're Christian, yeah, yeah. Do you fast? That one's probably the, 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 the tricky because nowhere in the New Testament is there a command for New Testament Christians to fast. So I think there's been some confusion about that. But a lot of people say, no, no, no. We're we're very much. It's not. It's not like Jesus is giving a new legalism or a new law. It's the assumed practice of his followers. When you fast, so are you a Christian? Yeah. So when, not if. Okay. I. I, I can move on, but what, Jesus is going to critique ways of giving, praying, and fasting. But does everybody understand? I, I can't really move on. Like, mm, before you can give, pray, or fast wrong, first you got to give, pray, and fast. Right? You got to do it before you can do it wrong. Is that fair? So I don't want to. I don't want to spend. Like, I don't want to go into all this education on how to do this stuff if we're not actually doing it. You know, there's an old story about D.L. Moody, who's a famous evangelist, and some people were criticizing his methods of sharing the gospel. They didn't like the way he was evangelizing. They didn't like the way he was sharing the gospel. They didn't like his methods. Moody eventually learned that some of his most vocal critics weren't, in fact, sharing the gospel themselves at all. And so in this wonderful exchange, he's quoted as being called out on this, that they didn't like his methods of sharing the gospel. And he said, well, I don't claim that they're the best methods of sharing the gospel, but uh, I'll tell you this, I like my methods of sharing the gospel better than your method of not sharing the gospel. <laughs> right? Fair? So, Jesus, so, so before we go any further, okay, that's it. I'm done with the application. But when, not if. So it, if you're not giving praying and fasting, then really, like, this is probably the exit ramp for the message for you. Let's, let's do that. Then let's come back to Matthew 6.1. But assuming those things, now some education, the, the, the information section. That's where Jesus spends the bulk of his time, so hopefully it'll be, spend the bulk of mine, and uh, uh, you guys can hold me to it. By the time you get the motivation, if you get the how-to right, if God's people get a hold of the how-to, the motivation, you can set your watch. When I get the motivation, three minutes or less. Okay, bold promise. All right. Education. And the education section, I'll just hit the highlights. It's when you give, he basically says, do not be like the hypocrites, but instead 
Do it like this. And when you pray, prayer is um, the one he gives to do not be likes. Do not be like the hypocrites, but also do not be like the pagan Gentiles. And he, and he explains why, the dangers in prayer. And then when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. And in each case, it's like, like when you do this, don't be like this. But instead, here's the Jesus way. Jesus invites you into his way. Got it? So that's kind of the education section. You don't necessarily have to write all that down. I just wanted to do a flyover so you could sort of see uh, where the education section is heading. Let's look at them one at a time. Let's start with giving. Verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, when not if, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What on earth? Sound a trumpet? Can you imagine? I'm about to be generous. <laughs> uh, we, don't have, we don't know of any record of trumping, uh, trumpeting. Uh, somebody said that because those big offering bowls, remember when Jesus was standing outside the, the, the treasury of the temple, that those big brass receptacles had big long necks to receive the coins. And so if you were making a big show of it, you would really slam the coins in there to sound the trumpet because they look like trumpets. I, I don't know. I, I think Jesus here is really just, just being humorous. He's using an exaggeration. Um, we actually have an English expression very similar to this. Haven't you heard somebody say, hey, don't toot your own horn? You ever heard that? Well, it's really very similar. That, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't, don't sound a big trumpet. We have ways of doing it. We all have ways of just slipping, just working it into a conversation, how we're so tired because we volunteered at that soup kitchen. You know, I was reading in my quiet time this morning. I was probably on hour two or three. <laughs> if that's the reward you're after, Jesus says, that's the reward you'll get. Don't toot your own horn. And when it comes to giving, don't, 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 there's a bunch of fanfare. I'll give, but I want my, I want my name across the building. Why not just give to the, to the kingdom? I always, that, it is funny. Like, people give to endow a building, but they never give to endow the maintenance of the building. Like, you never go into the janitor closet, and it's like, this mop, given in honor, you know? Because uh, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no trumpeting in that, you know? Since our God is a merciful God and has shown us mercy, we're to just show others mercy. But the mercy act is not its, itself. Jesus is concerned with what's the heart behind the mercy. What's the heart of generosity? And Jesus says someone who's given and making a big deal about it is a hypocrite. Why? What does that word mean? A hypocrite in Jesus' day just meant an actor on a stage. That's all. Just meant an actor. That's all it means. So how is someone who's giving to make a big deal about it, how are they an actor? Simple. Because they've taken a religious practice and turned it into what it was never meant to be, a theatrical display for an audience. It's all done for an applause. That's what a theater actor is after. All the things a stage. It's a performance, and it's done why? For the big bow at the end, the applause of men and women. So that makes you a, a hypocrite if that's your motivation. Now, now here's my question. Let's, let's be fair to, the, to these hypocrites for just a second. Well, it's very easy to dismiss them and say, oh, I would never do that. Can you imagine being so blatantly prideful? Maybe so, but let me frame it like this. Why would someone do this? Why would they long and crave for the praise of others? And the answer you would say is, well, pride. They're, they have pride. They're, pr- they're prideful. Fair enough. But what, uh, what's under that pride? I wonder if maybe beneath that pride is <clears throat> insecurity, fear. 
Over time, I wonder if the Pharisees and scribes became hypocrites, not because they wanted to, but because they longed for approval and they never felt they fully got it. They had their own form of righteousness and climbing that ladder was never gonna get the approval of God. And without the approval of God, they longed for the praise of men. I don't wanna spend too long on this, but I think it's an interesting point to try to think about what causes this kind of pride. Could it be insecurity? Jesus says a couple things in John. Let me just, let me just put them up here quickly. That make me think that caring about what other people think and that insecurity was a besetting sin of the Pharisees. Look at John 5, How can you believe, this is John 5, when you receive glory, he's talking to the Pharisees, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. You're looking to get the praise of others. He says virtually the same thing in John 12, verse 43, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. It was a besetting sin of the Pharisees. And I wonder, isn't this a besetting sin of so many of us today? Think about it deep down. You struggle to know you're approved by God. You always wonder, have I given enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I fasted enough? Have I done enough? And you were longing just once. You're longing. There's a void. There's an aching for you to hear from God, well done. Good job. And if you go so long without ever hearing that, without, without ever getting that stamp of approval, if you live long enough feeling like you don't have the approval of God, you will eventually settle and you will get drunk on the approval of others to try to Numb the pain that you don't feel the approval of God. You might say it like this. If we don't receive what we need in the approval department vertically from God, we'll inevitably seek it out horizontally in the praise of others. And we'll always be chasing what people think of us. Why? Because deep down there's this void. And to get drunk on the praise of others numbs the pain that we don't feel we have the approval of God. And the sad thing is, it's a reward the Pharisee will never get. And Jesus, so he loves his followers, and he's saying, guys, there's, there's a whole new way to live. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to impress others. In fact, you don't even have to impress yourself. So, so don't be like this actor. You don't, no, 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 no. But when you give to the needy, verse three, do it in such a way, this is a great image. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Isn't that a great image? Now, this, he's, not, he's not literally saying, you know, you, you try to fill out a check or grab your wallet, and you're like, okay, hide. You know, I mean, like, right? I mean, he doesn't mean you should have no thought to your accounts. It, like, of course, you should be thoughtful in your giving. It doesn't mean that it's a sin if you get your tax record at the end of the year and you tear it up. I shouldn't know what I gave. No, 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 no. What does this mean, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing? Who are the people who their left hand doesn't know what their right hand's doing in any activity in life? Isn't it the people who've become so proficient at the activity they no longer think about it? When you first learned to drive, what were you thinking? Right hand, uh, le no, left, 10 and 2, uh, which one's the brake? Right? Uh, and you got here today and you didn't even think about it. A baseball player professional baseball player swings a bat and hits a 90 mile an hour fastball. He doesn't think, okay, right arm here, left goes here, and I get, it's one fluid motion. When a, when a piano player first learns to play the piano, they're, they're playing the melody with their right hand, now what? Uh, boom, boom, you know. 
It's impossible, right? I don't know. I, that to me blows my mind how anybody can play the piano because you've got your right hand playing the melody and your left hand's banging out those bass notes and yet something clicks where a proficiency happens in a piano player where suddenly they can play in such a way that you might say their right hand doesn't even know what their left hand is doing. <laughs> right? Why? Proficiency. Jesus is saying in the life of a Christian, make generosity so natural that you don't even think of it as a big deal anymore. Just become a generous person. The Jesus way can get you there in a way the scribes and Pharisees never can. And here's how you do it. Do it in secret. Don't make a big deal about it. That's, that's one way to, to, to do that. Become that kind of generous person. In fact, uh, in, in Matthew, later in Matthew 25, there is some indication that this, that this happened. Uh, 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 so, so Jesus is describing in Matthew 25 at the end of time, he's, he's sorting everybody out, right? And he so separates the sheep and the goats. And he says, you guys, welcome in. You know, you guys, you're my followers. Why? And they say, well, Jesus says, because when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you came and took care of me. And he lists these things. Do you remember what, do you remember what the people said? Do you remember what the people said? They were like, did they say, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, we, we remember, we, we, we made a big deal about that. No, they're surprised. They didn't even remember. They look at Jesus and go, when did we see you? And Jesus says, oh, you don't remember? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And you imagine the people being like, huh, well, I guess I did, but I guess I just got so, when did you do that? Left hand, did you do that? I didn't do, you know, like, just became a natural part of their giving. And here's the thing, here's the best part, and we'll come back to that in my three minutes of motivation at the end. And your father who sees in secret, he is in secret, he will reward you. That's, I, I cannot talk about that now because I allowed myself three minutes at the end to talk about all the motivation, but that's it. And then that, that exact phrase will happen in the other two illustrations to which we have to get to. He does the same thing with prayer. And when you pray, you'll see the point. Do not be like the hypocrites. They, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they, may be, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. And it's not much of a reward, but it's the praise of others. Jesus says, it looks like that these hypocrites love to pray, but what we really discover is they don't love God. They don't love to pray. What they love is the praise that comes from men who are impressed by their praying. That's what they're after. Now, does Jesus mean we should never pray in public? I hope not. I do not think that's at all what Jesus means. Jesus prayed in public. Jesus wants his church to gather together and pray. If Jesus meant that, there'd never be another prayer meeting or a church service or even a family devotion or prayer before meals. So that's not at all what he means. But he knows over time there is a temptation in public praying to put on a performance. How do we guard against that? Here's how. Make sure your public praying is not the only praying you do. Make sure your public praying is the tip of the iceberg, but it's got depth that no one sees. It is deep and it is unseen. See? Make sure your public praying is just the tip of the iceberg. How do you get that deep, unseen prayer life? He tells you, don't be like the hypocrites. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. That's so good. The business about reward you and your Father who sees in secret, it's like, okay, God sees everything. But what you forget, he sees everything because he's where? He is in that closet with you. 
That is an incredible teaching from Jesus. He's saying, you don't have to scream to get God's attention. You don't. For anybody in here right now who needs to hear this, the, 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 the sermon for you may be those two little words, who is in secret. He is in secret. He is with you. If there's anybody who's so discouraged and feels so far from God that you feel like when you pray, your prayers don't reach heaven. In fact, your prayers don't even reach the ceiling. And when you go into your bedroom, you look up at God and you say, they don't even go out of my bedroom ceiling. Then hear the good news. Jesus is under the ceiling with you. Your prayers don't have to ascend up to heaven. He is with you in that closet. Nothing, oh, nothing spoils prayer like being outwardly focused on what other people will think. And nothing enriches it like knowing you're in the very presence of God here in this little closet. The early church father said, if you want to keep the fire of your devotion burning hot, one key is stop opening the oven door so often. Does that make sense? In other words, quit doing everything in public. Why not have a little private devotion life just between you and God and let that fire burn hot? Make sure there's private prayer happening. And then he adds this. Not only do not be like the hypocrites, you don't have to impress other people, but I love this. You don't have to impress God. Isn't this a beautiful image? Max Lucado says, doesn't it touch your heart to know that when you pray, there's not an angelic panel of judges like you see at figure skating in the Olympics ready to grade your prayer? You don't get done with a prayer and the angels go, 9.5, 8.7, didn't use enough these and thous, you know, I took off for that, you know. Aren't you glad your heavenly father wants to hear from you? Lucado says in his book, Before Amen, a Christian can no more miss pray than a little kid running at you can miss hug. Those of you with grandchildren, you don't go, well, I'm going to grade that hug. I don't know if that was up to par. No, you're delighted. See? He's saying, you don't have to impress God. Watch. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Gentiles are shorthand for those people who, who, who believe in the Roman Empire. They believe in all sorts of gods. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So historical background, the Greek and Roman pagans would babble on many words, and they would pray to many gods. Why? Because prayer was very mechanical, and you didn't know which were the right words you needed that day to unlock your request. And their gods were very mercurial. Their gods were very moody. You never knew which god was listening at any particular moment and which one was sort of out of the office. So to hedge their bets, they would use all the words they could think of and pray to every god they could think of. That way, one of them was bound to hit. And Jesus says, "Uh, you don't have to do that because you have the one true God. Ready for this? And he's your father. So your father knows what you need before you ask him. So you don't have to impress. Pray simply. One of the things that might bless many of our prayer lives is just calm down and pray simply, especially in public prayer. We get so nervous in front of others, and we're so scared of silence. That's okay. It's okay to say, um. It's okay to pause. It's okay to think. That's okay. And it's okay for prayers to be simple and not really very impressive. He gives a model prayer for the disciples And it starts with praising God for who he is. Then he gives three simple requests that deal with God and three simple requests that deal with humans. Kind of like the Ten Commandments, right? One one set of the tablets was about our relationship with God. One is about humans. So he starts with prayer. He says, so so, so when you pray, pray like this. He just gives them a pocket prayer, a sort of of repeatable model prayer. And he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. That means start with praise. Start with just acknowledging who God is. Lord, you're the king, and that means you reign over earth. And you, you are an all-powerful king in heaven, 
but you're also our dad. And he says three things that deal with God and three that deal with humans. Number one, hallowed be your name. What's that mean? Your name is holy, so let it be set apart in this world as holy. Number two, let your kingdom come. And number three, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you're the king, so let more and more of your kingdom rule extend into more and more hearts and more and more places. Oh, let your perfect will. And by the way, your perfect will happens every day without question in the heavens. So let what happens in the heavens, let that happen more and more on earth as you drive the evil further and further out until the day when you make all things new and the world is once again heaven on earth. Oh, let it happen. See, that's it. And then pray for three things dealing with humans. Number one, give us our daily bread. What's that mean? We acknowledge, God, we live by your hand. We are not as strong as we think we are, and we don't put food on our own table. Number two, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's saying, Lord, we need your mercy. And when we think about the fact that you've dropped the charges against us, we need to drop the charges against other people. And finally, uh, uh, and, and, oh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? Because, Lord, we've been forgiven. We're your children. We know what it's like to be freed from the evil one, and we never want to go back. So <laughs> lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. Simple. And the only thing I can figure is Jesus got a question about one of the requests, because it's such a simple prayer. Uh, somebody must have asked a question about the forgiveness piece, because he adds a little commentary. It's true it's basically common sense verse 14 if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses and that's simply and to quote c.s lewis to be a christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because god has forgiven the inexcusable in you simple then finally he educates his followers on fasting the third illustration. So all these things apply. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. No, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is, here's that phrase again, who is where? Who is in secret. He's not just, he's not just you know, I, I'm up here in heaven far off looking down and I see everything. He's with you. That's why he sees you. He is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, if anybody's curious about fasting and you um, uh, want to do a deeper dive, I did an extensive series on fasting. I called it Fasting 101 on February 4th of 2018. So if you jot down two, four, 18 and go to our YouTube channel, you can find that. It's in the Before Amen sermon series. It's all about sort of fasting one-on-one. If you're new to it or you want a refresher, I commend that to you. But, but the, the point I just want to make is that Jesus is, uh, is not saying the point is secrecy. He's saying, you know, the, the motive. Just fast. Uh, you know, some people, again, just like the other two, you, you could get yourself tied up in knots uh, on a kind of legalism here if you think that Jesus means you know, never let anyone know you're fasting. I mean, for one thing, from time to time, Israel would call corporate fast, and so it's not, it's not inappropriate from time to time for a church to corporately fast together. But the idea here is that uh, uh, habitually, it, it's a motive check to do it in secret. It doesn't mean that the point is, you know, he's not, he's not you know, I just imagine a, a story about, uh, in New York, I heard that this, this guy was trying the spiritual discipline of fasting, and his poor wife had, had cooked him this delicious meal, and, and because he so literally wanted to follow this, you know, he just turned it away, and she's like, what? And he's like, I can't tell you. <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> 
I think it would be more appropriate to just say, listen, I'm fasting, so maybe plan around that. Um, Here's how John Piper words it, I think very helpfully. He says, the point is, there's a big difference between being seen fasting. He's not teaching you to be a fasting ninja. He's teaching you being seen fasting is very different, can't we all agree, than fasting to be seen. To use Dan Doriani's illustration, imagine Jesus is is inviting us to imagine a scene where a shallow woman, we'll call her Lucy, she doesn't want to boast openly about her fasting, but she thinks, oh, I want people to know. So she's getting ready in the morning. She thinks, well, maybe if I look a little ragged, someone will ask me why. You know, so I won't wash my hair. I'll skip my makeup. Or better yet, I'll smear a little brown and gray under my eyes. And when she arrives at work, immediately her friends notice. What happened to you? You look terrible, Lucy. Are you all right? Lucy moans. I'm, I'm fine. I guess I'm just a little hungry. <laughs> Let's get you something to eat. Oh, I mustn't, for I'm fasting. <laughs> Oh, Lucy, you're so holy. Oh, maybe. Am I? And Jesus says, that's great, but now Lucy gets all the rewards she's going to get. And what Lucy over time realizes is in those deep moments of insecurity that that, that's that's not a satisfactory reward. There's nothing to that. But if you do it the Jesus way, he ends, as he does with all the others, he ends with his motivation. Start the clock. Here we go. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. If you, if, if you understand these verses apply to you when you give, when you pray, when you fast, and you understand how not to do it and how to do it, then the motivation should, should be so simple. Your father, on all three of these, your father will reward you. He who sees in secret will reward you. I object to anyone who says Jesus is against ulterior motives or that Jesus promotes altruism. No, we should just give for no reward. We should just give because, you know, we should fast because it's the right thing to do. Jesus never says that. What's he say throughout the New Testament? Come, sell everything you have, and you'll have treasure in heaven. I got reward for you. Jesus has no problem offering rewards, both in this life and the life to come. The Bible does not say you should do these things without any reward. Jesus says 100% in it for the reward. Just make sure you pick the right audience and the right reward. Pick the right audience. It's not other people. It's God. And pick the right reward. What, what he can give. And what can he give? Whew. He gives better than the praise of men. The praise of men will never satisfy you. But when you give and you pray and you fast in the Jesus way, you're rewarded in ways you can't even know. And you're rewarded in ways that will come in the new heaven, new earth. And if you say, preacher, what exactly are these rewards? I'll say, don't you want to find out? I don't even know, but I know this. If we who are evil can figure out how to reward our kids in a good way, how much more will our Heavenly Father know how to reward us? And it's going to be good. Okay? But I can make a list. When we give, what are the rewards? We get to see the needs of other people relieved. The hungry get fed. The naked get clothed. The sick get healed. The oppressed get freed. The lost get saved. And on top of that come all the secret joys that come from giving that prove that Jesus was right when he said, "'Tis more blessed to give than to receive.'" And when we pray, what are the rewards? We get to cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit. We're his children. We're granted a strong assurance of his fatherhood and love. He lifts the light of his face upon us. He gives us his peace. He refreshes our soul. He satisfies our hunger. He quenches our thirst. We're no longer orphans. The Father has adopted us. We're no longer prodigals. We've been forgiven. We're no longer alienated. We've come home. 
and when we fast. What are the rewards? We center our life on God. We reveal the things that control us. We are reminded we don't live by bread alone. We increase effectiveness in prayer. We, we can better hear the voice of God. We have greater victory and deliverance from our soul. Our souls feast on God. You gain more and more assurance that you, by his grace, already have the blessed approval of God in your life. I would list more rewards, but I gave myself only three minutes. But we could sit here all day, couldn't we? When you give, when you pray, don't be satisfied by some cheap imitation reward from the praise of others. Musicians are going to come and lead us in a time of response. I, I, I would make the closing summation like this. Here's his invitation. Here's his invitation. <clears throat> don't put on a show to get the approval of others. Give, pray, and fast because you already have the approval of God. Listen, if you're a Christian here today, you don't have to put, you don't have to put on a show. You know, sometimes if a sermon gets real confusing in my head, <laughs> that's going to be real bad for the listeners. Uh, but what I'll try to do sometimes is just write, like, okay, what is this saying in one sentence? What is this saying? That would be it. To every blood-bought, born-again child of God, you're, you, live, you get access to living the Sermon on the Mount that someone who doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit will never get. You get that. So, 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 so don't you... Don't put on a show to get the approval of others. Just give in secret and pray in secret and fast in secret. Make that the bulk of your giving and praying and fasting because you already have the approval of God. How do I know? Because of what the Sermon on the Mount cost. What do I mean by that? When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he said, our Father, collectively, our Father, you get to be written into the same family as Jesus. You get God Almighty as your Father. I wonder when he said that, did any of the disciples know what it would cost for Jesus to offer that? Jesus knew. What did the Sermon on the Mount cost? How can any of us call God our Father? The Sermon on the Mount came at the greatest price. The Sermon on the Mount cost the Savior on the hill, didn't it? Because of Jesus going all the way to Calvary and stretching out his arms because he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he allowed himself to be cut off from his heavenly father, you never will be. And you can cry out, even in a little secret prayer closet, you can cry out to your father who is in heaven. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. All because of Jesus. He preached the Sermon on the Mount and he paid for it with his own blood. So we get to live in it. All let's pray together. Now, even now, as I pray, I'm tempted to say a bunch of fancy words and the right words so that I get the praise of men. Forgive me of that. God, forgive us when we, we love the praise that comes from other people more than the praise that comes from you. How sneaky is that temptation to worm its way in even when we're doing virtuous good things like giving and praying and fasting. So protect your people from that. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And Lord, if anybody here has not yet know you, let today be that day they turn over their life to you and be saved. We ask you to grant us this, not because we're great prayers, but because you're a great prayer answerer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?